This is DeRay Olalia, and you're listening to Before the Man's Podcast, episode 175. Oh, yeah, we in now. Are you ready to be the master architect of your life? Are you ready to design your business and invest the needs that create the lifestyle you've always dreamt of? Are you ready to learn from entrepreneurs and millionaires who have achieved a certain level of success? Hey, this is Derek, location-independent entrepreneur, and you are listening to the Before the Millions podcast. Hi, I'm Gina Lofton. I am an investor, and you're listening to the Before the Millions podcast. Hey there, my name is Heather Havenwood, marketing coach and global entrepreneur. And you are listening to the Before the Millions podcast. Hey, this is Mark Asquith, the host of the 7 Minute Mentor podcast, global entrepreneur and all-round geek. And you are listening to the Before the Millions podcast. I am MC Lobsher, the Cashflow Ninja, and you're listening to Before the Millions podcast. You're listening to the Before the Millions podcast. But whether you're looking to invest for cash flow or build an online business that allows you to be location independent, you've come to the right place mr hollywood himself presents the before the millions podcast and now your host deray olalaye what is going on good people welcome back to another installment of the before the millions podcast i'm excited um today we have on mr brian miller who is a film composer and he has no relation to our last guest, Mr. Todd Miller, although they do look eerily similar. Now, as a film composer, Brian has worked with some of the most notable clients in the world from Walt Disney to 20th Century Fox to American Idol to The Big Bang Theory to George Lopez to 90210 to America's Next Top Model to Nike and Microsoft and Lexus and the list goes on. But. We're not here to talk about his musical accolades or his film accolades for that matter. Brian has built in a short time span 62 different streams of income. So we'll talk a whole lot about investing on today's show. We'll get into some of his different streams of income that he's built over the past really 20 years. But I want you to know this. Brian started out in a small, quaint, one-bedroom home. In Los Angeles, again, as a film composer, his studio was really his home. And although they could have lived the American dream back then, him and his wife, and lived up to the standards of their friends, they decided to, for lack of a better term, penny pinch. And for the first three years, they saved up $800 a month. Again, living far below their means. And after those three years, they bought their first house. Now, this wasn't an investment property. This was a house to live in. But this is when his mind started churning. And shortly after, he did the exact same process to buy his first investment property. 20 years later, this film producer has over 60 plus streams of income from 25,000 rental units, which include single family homes, self-storage, mobile home pads, retail strip malls trustees and multifamily apartments. I wanted to get into the makeup of him and into the psychology of how he's done this. So we talk about Brian starting the single family space and how and why he transitioned over time to build more and more income streams. Again, while supporting his full-time passion as a musician, as a composer, and as a film director. 
Now, mind you, some of its passive income streams have nothing to do with real estate, right? Such as licensing music and music royalties. But for the most part, it's all real estate and it's all really, really good. So again, I cannot wait for us to get into the episode. And if you haven't yet, before we get into the episode, I need you to press two buttons on your phone. One is the subscribe button for this podcast. And then two is the five star icon. Again, for this podcast. If you believe that this podcast is delivering quality content and deserves five stars, go ahead and do that for us now so that we can get this content out to more people. Again, subscribe, leave a rating and review, and you'll help this podcast more than you know. DeRay's tip of the week. You know, the reason for statistics are all about perspective, right? Are all about storytelling. And in this statistic I'm about to share with you is telling a story, right? And putting things in perspective and really highlighting why it's important to have financial literacy and start taking massive action towards our financial goals. So let's just take, for instance, you make $15 an hour, not too long ago. And I remember not too long ago, I was in Jamaica and I had what I would consider my favorite device on me, which were my AirPods, my Apple AirPods. And um, they were amazing. Like this is the first generation ones, right? I, I took them everywhere. They were so convenient. It was it was everything I wanted in a pair of headphones. Naturally, I, I carry two pair of headphones with me, right? So I carry like the big Beats by Dre for certain purposes, and then I carry the smaller Apple AirPods for certain other purposes. I remember when I was in Jamaica, I lost these AirPods. And guys, you guys know how expensive these things are. Everything made by Apple is so expensive. Speaking of, I just got a brand new MacBook, and oh my goodness, talk about an arm and a leg. But when I lost these AirPods, I was so sick. I was like, no, I've barely had these for two months. And again, if you make $15 an hour, think about those AirPods cost, what, $200? If you make $15 an hour, it would take you another 13 hours of work to buy you a brand new set of Apple AirPods. What about a new car, right? I mean, on average, a car payment is $400 a month. And if you're paying $400 a month on your car, it's taking away 27 hours of your life per month for you to pay for that car, for you to enjoy that car, 27 hours of your life per month. So if you think about that and you factor in taxes, you're, you're working literally one week out of every single month just to pay your car note. Like you're going to work for an entire week, every single month, just to pay your car note. The average date, I don't know what kind of dates you guys are going on, but Let's just say without alcohol, without wine, it's about a hundred bucks or 120 bucks for you to spend that hour, two hours with a loved one, a significant other, you have to dedicate eight hours, eight working hours of your life to make sure that you can accommodate for that. The average vacation, right? Let's just say it's $2,000 or $2,500. For you to go on a three-day or five-day vacation that costs $2,500, you have to spend 165 hours. So again, I'm not looking at money as this object that, that we have to budget for, but I'm looking at the time sacrifice 
right? It's like, okay, well, I'm, I'm, I'm spending 165 hours to go on a three-day vacation, to go on a four-day vacation. There has to be a better way because 165 hours, if you're working 40 hours a week, that's over a month. And by the way, these calculations don't include taxes. So if you're getting taxed at a 20% rate or a 30% rate, I mean, these numbers really get out of hand. So investing is not all about budgeting for money, but really just taking ownership and getting your time back because time is freedom. And by no means do I want you to spend one to two months of every working hour just to go on a three-day vacation. So when we talk about these passive income streams, when we talk about budgeting, when we talk about investing for your future, it's not really all about the money. It's more so about the time and freedom. And that's why you tune into this podcast. That's why you're getting enriched with this knowledge and information. That's why you're seeking these sources to be better, to do better, to have more. So again, this tip of the week was really just about perspective and really understanding the sacrifice that a lot of us are making by not being educated, by not jumping in, by not figuring out our financial goals and how to get there. I think the first step is awareness, and that's what we're doing here. So again, if you haven't yet subscribed, go ahead and subscribe to the show. Every single week, we'll have a brand new episode with new enrichment to help you along your journey. So with that being said, let's get to this week's episode. Oh, yeah. And I chose to look at my loss as a blessing in disguise. And, you know, not too long after the new AirPod Pros came out. And obviously now those are my brand new precious babies. Okay, let's really get to the show. And now your feature presentation. So I was developing a career as a film composer in LA and it started very humbly, uh, you know, from, you know, just little small opportunities that you put a lot of time into. Uh, My first job, I worked on like 10 hours a day for three days and I got paid 75 bucks when I was done. But it's part of that over delivering, right, about giving more value than you're getting paid for in the beginning, because then eventually they, hey, they wanted to hire me more. And then other people wanted to hire me based on the fact that I did a really great job. Because if you just do an average job or you just do kind of like $75 worth of value, if that's what I'd given them, I wouldn't have really gotten anywhere. It was like when they realized, oh, this is more value than we paid for, it just opens up additional doors. But the other part of that journey was uh, there's no union for professional composers. Um, There's no official pension plan. There's no 401k except for the one you create for yourself. So realizing that even pretty early on, I realized, wow. If I'm going to go down this journey of being a solopreneur, I, I have to create the retirement plan. So just by seeing other people, seeing people in my family, how that had revolutionized their, their life, specifically like my mother-in-law, my parents had a couple rentals, but just seeing the value of that cash flow coming in every month um, really opened my, I guess, my eyes to that possibility. And I was like, hey, if I can get a few rentals and get them paid off, this is going to produce a, a revenue stream for me in retirement. So that was kind of the first goal and the first reason for, for jumping into it. So you planned on, and this is how it, I want to know if this is how you planned it. And also if this is how it went down, but you basically plan to simultaneously build out your, your film, your, 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 your composing career. You can't even call it a career, but your, your entrepreneurial path. And as a film composer, right. Build that out. Um, and, and, and at the same time, you decided to start trying to buy single family homes so that you were 
creating that nest egg for retirement. It wasn't necessarily to create stability in a uncertain field or market, but it was more so for retirement. It was more a long-term play, right? So even by that time I was buying the first rental, I was up to making a, a, a modest income, then a moderate income, then a pretty decent income, then six figures of income. And then, you know, so eventually it really grew, but I also knew that, hey, when I stopped working, the, the paycheck would basically stop coming in. I mean, there are some beautiful things about being a composer, and one of those is receiving performance royalties, right? But that that also will, it's not as dependable. That's like gravy, right? You can't really plan out a trajectory of that unless you have a hit song and you know, but even if you have a hit song, you know what it earned in this year, but there's also a a decrease over time of what that's going to perform. So again, very hard to predict, right? Where rental income, the beautiful thing about it is like, you know, next month there's, it's a thousand bucks or it's 1500 bucks or it's 1800 bucks from that rental property. And so the predictability is something I really liked because I don't, um, I'm not a big fan of the wall street model of basically getting a nest egg and then spending down 4%, right? Because the goal in that model is, is basically to spend, just enough that you don't run out of money and you hope that the month before you die, you're, you're really close to zero. And, and it's just, for me, it's a really tough way to live because um, you just don't know what, what you're going to need and you don't have it. There's not any freedom to spend. And then at the end of the day, everything you've worked for for your whole life is gone. Right. Cause yeah, you're and, 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 your way to zero. Yeah. I, and I don't mean to interrupt. It's just, it's, it's fascinating like that concept because just you putting yourself in that mindset, it it controls how you operate in every facet of your life. Like if you're like, all right, I, this is what I need to get just enough, right? Imagine how many other areas of your life that that just enough mentality shows up in. Like it's 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 detrimental. Like again, we get one of these lives, right? Like we're we're here once. Like right. my my whole mindset, and that's why I was in corporate for two years. My whole mindset is why not try any and everything and fail as, as bad and as fast as I can and, and see what I can make of myself and really test my true potential. That's one thing I never did growing up. I never actually tested like what I could do. And I think a lot of us, we spend 20, 30, 40, 50 years, not really, not really trying, not really seeing what's possible, not really venturing out. And, and, and again, it, it's that mentality and you, the people who, who are in that position right now, right? Um, and they're listening to this audio between us. I want them to know that it, it's, it starts with the mental. It doesn't start with, all right, let me go find another retirement plan. Let me go uh, learn a little bit more about this. Like, yeah, that it's imperative to learn a little bit more about, you know, where your money is going and all that good stuff. But it starts, I think it starts between our two ears, right? Um, really just starting with the mental. But take me, take me to the next phase of your journey, Brian. I want to know a little bit more about as you begin to see that these rentals are doing well or maybe not doing well, what, what causes you to shift in the space that you're in? Because I know that you're in a completely different space now, right? You're, you're in the commercial space and you're operating with apartments and syndications and things like that. But what happened? What, what changed for you? Well, pro- probably one of the smarter things we did was we only bought a couple rentals during the 2004, 2006 area of time. And that's because a lot of things didn't make sense. And a lot of people were jumping in the game and, and going to the party, and it just didn't make a, a ton of sense to me um, at the time. And so what did make sense, it was in 2009, I found a, a condo in Phoenix through a Craigslist ad, 
and for 50 grand for a condo. And I was like, I thought it was a scam, right? But I called the realtor, talked to him, and he's like, well, that one's sold, but I got hundreds of these. Like, just come on down to Phoenix. I'll show you around. So I actually stopped on a layover, got off the plane. He drove me around town. I saw lots of property and ended up, you know, bought a house for 48000 bought one for 42000 and, you know, the, the, as I call it, the knife was still dropping, right? Prices were still falling. Um, and and but- to give context, because again, I think we talked about this before the call. So the listeners are maybe trying to figure out where you're coming from. What, where do you, where were you living in? Where are you living in and what area were you investing in? Sure. Um, I live in Los Angeles. Uh, I'm here because of the film industry and the opportunities that provides. Um, but when you're buying rentals, um, you, you don't have to buy in your backyard. Los Angeles is a tough place to find cash flow. Uh, and so I found deep discounted opportunities there. So we, we went heavily into the Phoenix market because it made a lot of sense. I had wanted to go in that market earlier, but I just couldn't find anything that I thought made sense. But when prices kind of fell and I was buying for 25 cents on the dollar, um, tried to buy as much as much as possible and just kind of the simple math on that. So um, one of the, one of the example I like to use, there was a house that was $400,000. I bought it for a hundred grand, right? 25 cents on the dollar, $33 a square foot for it. It was a big, big house. But uh, then on that house, you only have to put 20% down, right? So you're putting $20,000 down to control a hundred thousand dollar investment. Well, that investment now is appreciated back up to 300,000, not quite up back up to the peak, but it's up to 300. So I've made $200,000 of profit on a $20,000 investment. So that's like making 10 times your money on just the appreciation, not the cash flow. So, yeah, it's a big thing that a lot of people don't realize is as I look at the portfolio, I've made most of the real money from appreciation, from the prices going up, from buying a low priced asset, then letting it appreciation or force appreciating it by adding value or adding an extra bedroom, you know, producing some value. So we did that. And, and it's part of the journey I want to talk about just a little bit is when the market gave me that when that was on sale, that's what we bought. But I haven't really bought single family since 2012. So at 2012, then I, I kind of transitioned into more syndication deals. I realized we were building a portfolio, but it took time and effort and energy to keep track of that portfolio. So as you start to scale, you realize, wow, this is going to be a lot of work. So then I ended, ended up partnering with other investors in what's called a syndication deal to buy like um, self-storage um, places, uh, mobile home parks, apartment units. Um, and it's, again, part of partnership that I've really learned in the, in the early days of, of music and also real estate. I was very much like, it's, it's my deal. I don't want to have partners. I want to control everything. And I've really realized over time that through partners, you can accomplish way more than you could on your own. It, it is tricky. You have to be really careful. You have to be careful on who you choose and how you vet those partners. But through partnerships, I've done things I could never do on my own and, and couldn't have the portfolio or the streams of income I do without having strategic partnerships. Absolutely. One of my students the other day, she, uh, she sent me a message and uh, her, her exact question was uh, along the lines of, why, why in the world would I want, like, why in the world would I want to work with a partner? Why in the world would a partner want to work with me? Like, aren't we like, aren't we like splitting the deal? Like what's like, what sense does that make? And I'm just like, Oh my goodness! Like it's it, there's so much value in it, and um, you know, I, I forget how the how the saying goes, but a little bit of something is better than all of nothing, right? And um, partnerships are are absolutely essential to any and everything that we do in life, right? You, there's nothing that I don't think that, that, and not that I don't think I know 
that there's nothing that has been great that's ever been accomplished by one person. Right. Right. So, so it's absolutely imperative. Now thinking about your progression into syndications and you wanting to be a little bit more hands-off, would you say that the returns were the same, similar, or they like they far and exceeded your returns in the single family space? Or was it just because of convenience? Was it, or again, was it a little bit of both or was it just because of convenience? It it was, um, I think all of the above. Um, some deals we crushed it on with syndications, right? You know, uh, you put 55 grand in and you get 200 grand out, right? In three years, right? So that was a deal where a syndication performed super well. There's other ones where you get like 15, 17%, which are amazing numbers. Um, but like the, like, so I'm not only looking at return on investment, I'm also looking at return on time, right? Return on effort, right? And so in syndication deals, those kind of, those numbers jack up tremendously, right? Your return on on your time, your return on your effort. So that's part of the goal of that. The other thing is you're able to buy, get into assets and resources that like I, you know, I could buy a mobile home park on my own, but it would be a ton of work and a ton of effort, but I can buy like 20 parks with a group of partners, have all that diversification of 20 parks instead of having a hundred pads could have a thousand pads or 2000 pads. Right. And so, it just provides a, a whole nother level of diversification and strength in that investment. So there's lots of reasons to do it, but mostly like you're able to get involved with assets that you normally couldn't. I found the returns to be pretty similar. Like I think it's tough to make a lot of cash flow off single family um, because of when I bought them, I made a ton of appreciation dollars. But you know, like this morning we got an email. Hey, there's a gas leak underneath your house. They're gonna get a jackhammer under there and go fix the gas leak, and you know it's gonna cost me a couple grand, right? Well, if you're making two hundred dollars a month cash, positive cash flow, it's gonna take a lot of months to make up for a two thousand dollar loss. But over the course of the time, as I look at that portfolio, it, it's increased exponentially, and then you're also able to tap that, right? So once you have a bunch of equity, you can do a cash out refinance, pull that out, and then redeploy that into other assets. So all the single family houses that I bought, I basically have zero money into them, right? I did at one point, I had to put like the $20,000 down payment, but then like through a group refinance, maybe I got 30 grand back. So now I, I basically don't, it wasn't just I got my 20 grand back, now I got 30 grand back. And what I can do is then go invest that 30 grand and have another revenue producing asset while my original asset still continues to produce cash flow and continues to appreciation and continues to give me tax benefits. Absolutely. I always, always love hearing that. When you think about the number of syndicators that uh, you have in your Rolodex that send you text messages and emails, about how many people, and I asked this to, to a few guests recently, and I'm curious, how many people are consistently sending you things? Um, consistently is a difficult word because right now, like it's it's a little more hit and miss. Some people send out like three or four deals a year. Some are sending out less than that. Um, I would say, you know, I'm plugged into some different investing group. And so I'm aware of a lot of things, but I'm also aware that like multifamily assets are really highly priced. And so you have to be really careful. Um, so on those partners, I'm really looking for a very experienced and seasoned partner, right? I want somebody who's been in the business a long time that has owned a lot of different assets. Uh, has gotten uh, bumped and scraped on someone else's dime, right? And learned on someone else's dime. Um, 
it's hard, but you really want the most seasoned, experienced partner that you can possibly get. Like, you know, it's, um, you know, the ideal partner, they've been around the block for a while or 20 years of running their business and they're expanding their fund. Um, those are kind of ideal partners that have, have a deep amount of experience. It's hard to say how many, but, you know, I don't know. I've, I've probably seen 20, 30 deals kind of this year um, and haven't invested. I don't think I've invested in any of those deals just because they've been they've been OK. Um, but and what's your, not, what's, your, what's your process of vetting these deals like are, and how long is it taking you? Like what, is, what you you get back at the end of the afternoon, you see that you got six emails with with the deals. You kind of sit down, you grab your coffee. Like what does that process look right? like? Um, it's more at this point about vetting the operator. So there's a handful of operators that have performed well for me or I know I have a real long 15 year track record. And so it's more about being really particular on that and wanting to go with those guys just because yeah, there's a track record there, right? Um, it's so always the, so, if it, so the deals that you looked at this year, it, it, it wasn't it wasn't the, they didn't they didn't get to the point to where you were really interested in the deals because these were operators that maybe you hadn't worked with yet and all your normal operators maybe just hadn't gotten any good deals this year. Right. And so like one of the one operator that I do really like, they've been in the business a long time. He has a great reputation for being honest and dependable and if necessary, going into his own pocketbook to make make things right. So that's a guy I made like probably I probably in 2019. I made several investments. We bought a couple, three different multifamily buildings in Atlanta. Right. But it was because I had some track record with him. He had a great reputation in the space. A lot of people that I know and trust have partnered with him and trusted him and, and do well. So a lot of it, like when you do, when you're a limited partner, you're limited, right? You have limited control in that, in that scenario. So it's really about finding people that you can trust, hopefully finding people that have deep pockets as well. Um, because it sometimes it just helps to have, you know, somebody that can write a big check if you need to, to, to help either rescue a project or keep it going. Um, that really, really helps. And so, if, if people are kind of really stretched thin and, you know, like on a multifamily bill, you get a $40,000, $50,000 bill you weren't expecting, you better be planning for that or have some way to solve that or suddenly the asset can start to have some problems. Absolutely. Now, the fact that you've looked at 50 deals this year and you've wanted to invest and you haven't invested in any tells me that you have cash on hand and you're just trying to find the right deals. And if the right deals come across, you'd invest. And this, this kind of, you know, brings me back to the fact that the first thing I read about you is that you have 62 streams of income, right? So, I mean, how, how do you think about diversifying and, and what's the process for you when you think about creating a new stream and then all of a sudden, again, keeping track with all of that? Cause I mean, that was the, the main reason we got out of single family homes and now it's just like, Oh my goodness, another like, you know, hairball. Like how do you, how do you, how do you manage all that? Right. Um, it's a big Excel spreadsheet at this point <laughs> uh, with, you know, a lots of different like self-directed um, IRA accounts, self-directed um, 401k accounts, self-directed defined benefit plan accounts, self-directed health savings account. Um, what are some of the obscure ones? Like, like, are you, are, and maybe, maybe we should actually talk about investments instead of, um, um, like where you're putting your money. But as far as like, you know, um, and and there may not be one, but I'm just curious if there is, is there, are there any crowdfunding, um, platforms or anything for music or film or anything like that? Have they came out with anything like that yet? There are a few interesting ones where people are pooling money together to buy royalty streams. 
-hmm. right? So let's just say you could find a song uh, by Earth, Wind, and Fire, and basically, if they wanted to sell basically the revenue stream that they're getting. So let's just say that one of their songs is generating $50,000 a year. Well, you think, okay, over the next course of, the, of you know, 20 years, you're not sure what it's going to produce, but sometimes people are willing to pay like 3X or 4X. So they would pay $200,000 for that $50,000 stream. The only thing is that stream's a little unknown or it could get a licensing deal and bring in, you know, 300 grand one year. So you're, it's a little bit of a business venture and you're betting on that, but there are some crowdfunding things that you can get involved with buying music royalties, which is a really cool thing. That is, that's awesome. Yeah, I've been looking into all kinds of things. What, do you know any off the top of your head that anybody can kind of, um, that I can add in the show notes? Anybody can kind of. Uh... Um, let me see if I can get you some for the show notes because yeah. um, I've, I've looked at them a little bit and there's been a few funds recently that have actually went out and raised money for that, for that business model. That's awesome. All right. So back to any, any, anything's obscure that you're in that, that would be interesting for the listeners? Uh, obscure investments. Um, it tends to be pretty straight ahead. I mean, I like the mobile home space a lot for a lot of different reasons. I like self-storage. I like multifamily. What I've really transitioned into though, in the last few years as multifamily deals, and I've been passing on some of those multifamily deals is a lot of development deals. So I developed a key partnership in Los Angeles with a, a really successful builder here. And we're building 46 single family homes and we're building, I don't know, it's like 56 or more apartment buildings. So some of these are like nine on a lot, six on a lot, 11 on a lot. So it's a terrific business model. Um, you're just basically buying a piece of dirt or a teardown. Then you're adding value, right? You're creating like either six brand new houses on it. Um, in that case, you know, each of those houses is going to rent for 2,800, three grand a month. And so you go times six, okay, well, you know, there's about, you know, $15,000 of gross rents coming in. Um, and so that model really makes sense. So I've actually developed a partnership with uh, David Coe. And so we formed an organization called Capital Stack Investments because so many people were asking like, hey, what are you doing? How could we get involved? You know, like, hey, you got all these streams of income. What do you recommend I do? So we kind of set that up because, you know, for fam family and friends to kind of come alongside and we only would offer a deal that we're putting our own money into. So I'm, I'm, I, I actually really like the stock market, but I'm not a fan of Wall Street, right? Because Wall Street sells all these kind of convoluted financial products, right? That have tons of fees or at the end of the day, they just net out really inferior returns. Um, and you have me, to be me, really careful. Brian, Brian, give me one example and then one example of an alternative that you switched to. Sure. Uh, well, annuities is, is a big one where you give them, let's say that you give them a chunk $500,000, right? Then they're going to give you back like whatever, 10, 10 grand a month for the next 15 years, right? I'm the, I'm the numbers off the top of my head, so they may not make sense. But the concept is you're going to wait like 13 years just to get your $500,000 back, right? It's like, all right, give me half a million bucks. And then I'm going to piecemeal you giving you your $500,000 back. And in year 13, you finally get your 500,000. So you're not really making a, a profit until year 14, right? So you've just tied up a ton of capital for the security of this long-term stream, but you've given up control of your money, right? And you're really not making a profit for a long time. The mutual fund industry is another one where if you make 8% returns, but you give two up in fees, right? It doesn't sound like much, but that's 25% of your earnings is just went away in fees. 
So now instead of compounding on 8%, you're compounding on 6%, right? And over the course of the time, you're going to give up like 40, 35, 40% of your upside um, from a simple 2% fee. And it sounds really small, but in all this like investing stuff, it's all math, right? And so it's exponential too. So that 2% ends up being huge and can really like accelerate your portfolio or you know, take it down. And if you don't believe me, look at a compounding interest calculator. Just go, you know, put in your net worth now or your investing capital. So if you have a million bucks, you go, okay, 20 years ahead in an investing calculator making 10% or making 15% or making 5%. And the number is crazily, I mean, it's such a big spread that you'll be amazed at just what a 5% difference in your return on investment will do for you long-term. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I 100% agree. Uh, so what about an alternative in, in, in that instance for annuities first? Um, well, it depends. So I like the development stuff because I find that a lot of people, maybe they've saved up, you know, 500,000 or 600,000. But as they look to kind of go to this kind of uh, financial independent stage, well, if you have 500 grand and you're making 8% on that, you know, that's, it's, you know, not enough to really kill it. Yeah, you could pull off 40 grand a year on that, but that's 40 grand a year pre-tax too, right? So um, so I like development plays where you can take your capital and make a 1.5 or a 1.8x return, right? Or a 2x return. So you put in 100 grand and you get out 180, that'd be a, like a 1.8 uh, return. Um, so I like those. And then as I get those bigger capital chunks, then I'm putting that into a multifamily fund. Or um, if it's tax protected, like in a retirement account, I like doing like hard money loans. I do those uh, making anywhere from 8 to 13%. Um, and now I'm doing that with partners too, because I was doing that directly for a while, but it takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of vetting. Something goes wrong. You got a lot of legal stuff to do. And so again, by partnering with a company, I was able to reduce my effort right? But keep my returns high. I give up a couple points to them, but I'm, I'm happy to do that for the service they're giving me. They're doing a lot of vetting. They're doing a lot of paperwork. They're doing all the legal compliance. They have the license to lend in California. Like if you want to lend and you have a note for 12% in California, if you don't have a lending license, you're breaking the law. And it's really dangerous because then if it goes to court, they're like, well, you broke the law. You're, 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 you know, that's usury, right? And so you have to be really careful on, you think you're making a, a you know, some guy can promise you 20% returns, but go, try to go collect on that when things don't go well. It's really, really hard to do. I could, I could, I could only imagine, Brian. I could only imagine. Earlier, I think this was, again, before we actually started recording, we mentioned the transition for you from uh, active income to passive income. And I'm curious, as you just mentioned, the bit about, the development deals are the development deals where you're considering your active income and then you're pouring that into the multifamily funds as your passive income. Uh, it's still pretty passive for me. I'm a little involved because sometimes I'm on the general partner side. So I'm involved with investor relations or reporting back or, or helping initially to raise that capital. So that part is active, but after that it's pretty passive. The, my main active income is my music business, writing music for film, for television, for advertising, um, there's a passive component of that too, because there's a lot of mailbox money that goes with that when you're, when you have success. Um, so that's a good, but that's primarily where my active business is. The other active side, like the name limited partner, uh, or passive is a little bit misleading because, um, it, after the investment has been made, it's fairly passive, right? 
But until that happens, you have to be pretty active, right? Because you have to do your homework. You have to do your due diligence. You have to talk to past investors. You have to look at like that market. Does this business, what they're saying, hey, we're going to build a high rise here. Well, does that make sense? Have they ever done that before? You know, who's exited and had successful exits with them prior? So there is a lot of work that goes into that side of being passive. But then after, after you basically part with your money, now you're more passive. You get a, you get a check and you, you, you pray everything goes well. Uh, but your job is before you write that check and you hand it over. And I've had people call me. They're like, hey, should I do this deal? And I'm like, well, you realize this, this is their second deal. Their first deal is not like until a deal, even if you've done five deals, it doesn't really matter until you exit or until you return investors' money, right? Because you could do 10 deals, but if you haven't returned that capital, you you know, yeah. it's like, what's that saying about you don't know who's naked until the tide goes out, right? So you don't really know what's going on until you, those investors either get their capital back or you have an exit or you have a refinance and you're like, okay, everything looks really good here. But until then, you don't really know. So that's where you have to really like suss out that partner and spend a lot of time. Once you send your money in, now, now you're more passive. Absolutely. Man, I love this. So Brian, we've, I mean, you, I think you sent us uh, your, all of your, your real estate accolades and uh, we were able to go through those and that's why, you know, you're on the show, but um, I'm, I'm curious. I know our listeners are as well, man. Give us some, uh, is there anything that we can, uh, we can point to in terms of Mr. Brian Miller when it comes to some of your stuff on the singer slash producer slash songwriter slash actor slash, I mean, I'm, I'm throwing extra things in there. There, there you go. Uh, no, <laughs> no acting on my part. Voiceover. No, I'm just playing. But but yeah, I mean, what what are some of your some of your fondest projects? Um, well, the projects people know of, I've had music on uh, American Idol and Dancing with the Stars and Next Top Model and Sixty Minutes and you know different shows like that. Um, and then we license music around the globe. So while they make a Israeli version of Survivor, right? So they're making like, all these different shows are made in these different territories. So we've had music on there. Those are, those are fun things. I work for a filmmaker, Dinesh D'Souza, done three films with him. Those have been really fun and great projects to be involved with. Uh, but I just, I love making music. I love being involved with it. And uh, it's been a really great career. And to be able to, you know, do art and make a living, you know, a lot of people didn't think that was possible. And so I would say on that, it's really a lesson in perseverance. I mean, in the early years, I was not making much money. I was like busting it, working super hard. And uh, it was a really tough business to get started in. And it's sort of like the real estate thing. It starts out really slow or maybe you get your $200 a month in positive cash flow and you're like, this is not life changing. I'm going to give up and try something else. It's like, no, you got to wait till you get the 400 and then the 600 from your three units and then you get your four units and then you buy a 12 unit, right? It's same thing like that. I just, I, I had a few clients that led to a few more clients, but it, it took, you know, it took five years to kind of like, oh, hey, this is actually like uh a good entry level job. Right. And then it took 10 years where it's like, Oh, this is killing it. And then, you know, I've been at it a while now. And now in year 20, I'm like, this is a, this is an unbelievable cash machine. Right. But it took a long time to build that machine. Um, it didn't, didn't happen overnight. And if I had quit in year five, when I go, you know, Hey, I could make 50 grand a year somewhere else and wouldn't be working, you know, till three in the morning or whatever. I would have given up that upside. People don't understand the exponential curve of business ownership, yep. right? That it it, um, it starts out really slow, but like it's like math, right? Again, and that exponential curve, same thing in investing or compounding, right? It looks like you're not getting, 
you're just incrementally getting a little better and better. And then all of a sudden you start hitting that upward of the exponential curve and you're like, whoa, this is, this is beautiful. Absolutely. Now, because you have so much going on at any given time, Brian, when you feel overwhelmed, maybe you feel unfocused or maybe you've just lost focus temporarily. What do you do yourself? What do you do to get yourself back in alignment? And if it helps, what questions do you ask yourself? Oh, that's a really good one. Um, something I've been continually challenging myself on is increasing my thinking time. You know, there's, there's that book, Think and Grow Rich, but there's also think and have better relationships and think and, uh, you know, make better investments, better use of your time. So it's something I've, I've been challenging. It's actually on my, in my book now, you know, to schedule my thinking time. And I reflect on that about, okay, wait, I haven't had that, but to really get that and think, okay, where do I want that next chapter to be? It's real easy to get on the hamster wheel and stay on the hamster wheel, but to think like, okay, what are the moves I need to make so that I'll be in a position so I can make, you know, different choices or so I have revenue coming in. So if I don't want to go to work or um, whatever, but it's that thinking time is really important, even about like, okay, what are we going to do different with the kids and how are we going to structure this differently? But that thinking time is something that I find great return on investment for. And yet it's so easy to not, it's a real discipline to do it. And so it's one of my favorite things to do. Brian, can you imagine that some people only do that the week before New Year's? Yeah, it's crazy. Tell, <laughs> tell, 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 I'm curious. Tell me about your thinking time. What does that discipline look like? Yeah, it's it, it's crazy. But um, maybe about three years ago, I was I was struggling in my business, more specifically my coaching business, and I um, I hired a mentor to kind of get me out of my rut and kind of figure out what what I need, what was the next step. And um, so I, I went to go visit him. I, I stayed with him for for two days, and it was just me and him one on one. And um, we 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 dove into my business and the first thing that he really wanted me to do was to figure out what my zone of genius is was or is and um there's a book by gay hendrix called um the big leap and um he talks about these different zones and that we operate in and a lot of us operate in zones of um we operate in our in what's called a zone of excellence which is something that we do really really well okay and other people will pay us a lot of money to do but maybe it's not the, the thing that we we wake up loving to do like 24 seven all the time. Like, you know, that's, it's not our joy. Right. Um, and the zone of excellence is where many talented people operate in um, many average people, which is most people operate in their zone of competence. Mm-hmm. Um, the majority of people operate in their zone of incompetence, <laughs> but they, but they, they, but they feel as though they're, they're, they're operating in their zone of excellence. So that's another story for another day. But anyway, through that exercise, I realized that my zone of genius was my thinking time, was my strategizing, was the the introspection that I would have. And I just thought it was something that everybody did. And he was just like, right, no, like <laughs> that, that's, that's, that's a gift. Like that's a, that's a thing. And I was just like, really? I was like, oh, I don't feel like it's a thing. <laughs> I was like, I do it every day. <laughs> it was like, no, like people, that, that's not how, that's not how, that's not how things work. So um, I just find that when, when I'm able to, and oftentimes my brightest ideas, and this goes for a lot of people, but you know, when you're in the shower, when you go for walks and things of that nature, um, when you're driving, right, that's when you get a lot of your, your brightest ideas. That's when you're able to solve a lot of your problems, even when you're sleeping or as, you, as soon as you wake up because of a dream, right? Um, it's because we're, we're not in that, there, there are certain states that we operate in that are better than other states. And we'll get into that today because um, anyways, to, to, to sum it up, my my uh my zone um 
is, is really just a strategic thing um, that I do every single morning. So uh, I actually try to do it twice a day in the evenings as well. But it's something that I think that it, it just centers me. It focuses me on what's important, right? I think that, you know, you mentioned it, but if we don't reset once a week or once a month or whenever, like you'll operate the whole year and you'll, your, your goals would have changed, your ambitions would have changed, your, your wants and desires would have changed. And, and, but because you're so used to the repetitiveness of what you've been doing because when you did have other goals that you were doing the steps towards those goals and now that they've changed you haven't realized that the actions needed to change as well so um i love that i love that brian this has been an amazing that's cool yeah i know i and something on that a couple things well one i also like to just take walks right and go out you know some sometimes it's praying because i like i'm out of solutions and i don't know what the next step is and also just you know doing some times of like your commitments like this is what i'm going to eat this is how i'm going to feed my body this is the kind of focus i'm going to have this is the intentionality that i want to have even decisions right even decisions i mean um people don't understand how fatiguing decision making is like you think that you know like you talked about growing up like with, with the hammer like you think that hard work is you know just you know brute force but like decision makers use a lot of their energy. If you, if you, if you, if you calculate how many calories you burn by thinking it's insane. Right. So, so, you know, why does Steve jobs wear a black shirt every single day? Right. To limit, the, to, to limit that as a decision. So it's very tiring. And again, when I hear about your 62 streams of income, your, your, your fascination with the real estate world and then your fascination in music and film, I'm just like, how are you, how are you keeping yourself together? So it's always interesting to know. I appreciate that. Absolutely. And then something you mentioned about with the mentors, right? So that's really like, I don't necessarily have like a super, like you're a mentor to me, but I seek out wisdom and counsel from lots of people. And there's some proverbs about like, you know, that that's a really wise thing to do is like in a multitude of counsel. So I have a guy that was with the banking industry for 20 plus years. He has a different perspective, right? When I look at, he has a different way of looking at risk. And then I have, you know, like, one of the recent apartment deals I looked at looked pretty good. I sent it to like people that I trust and respect. And they were like, well, this is, I see as a concern. This is a, I see as a concern. Those are things that didn't pop out to me. So I think just from trying to get counsel from a lot of smart people and, you know, sometimes I like just have to go with my gut and I go with it anyway. Um, but I definitely want to hear all the different perspectives. And cause sometimes there, you'll learn something you didn't know. This episode is brought to you by Fundrise. It's never been easier to become a real estate investor. With as little as $500, watch your money passively work for you by investing in real estate through a crowdfunding platform like Fundrise. In just a few minutes, you can invest in hundreds of highly vetted multi-million dollar properties such as hotels, apartment buildings, and offices all around the U.S., Based on your financial goals, Fundrise will detail a few REITs, real estate investment trusts, for you to choose from. With the click of a button, you can own fractional shares of really amazing deals that before the Jobs Act of 2012 were impossible for the everyday non-accredited investor to even hear about, much less invest in. Now, what I like about Fundrise is they're ridiculously low advisory fees. So dig this at 1.5%, my actual returns on Fundrise are outperforming my stated returns and other assets, even though they advertise higher returns. So Fundrise has no hidden costs, no management fees, no unfavorable terms. And for the BTM tribe, head over to beforethemillions.com forward slash Fundrise. That's F-U-N-D-R-I-S-E for your first three months of advisory fees totally waived. 
Yes, the actual only fee that Fundrise charges is being waived for three months. Simply head over to beforethemillions.com forward slash Fundrise and welcome yourself to a real alternative to investing in the stock market. That link one last time is beforethemillions.com forward slash Fundrise. Lifestyle design acceleration hacks. What is your favorite Before the Millions book? Uh, I would say The Millionaire Real Estate Investor by Gary Keller. Uh, it was a, a revolutionary book in my journey. Um, so there's a few things in there. There's, there's basically four big concepts. Uh, think a million, buy a million, own a million, and then receive Give a million. million. Give and a million or receive a million? Receive a million is the okay, last one. Okay. And when I read that, it blew me away because it was a mind blower, like that someone could actually receive a million dollars a year from real estate, right? Um, it was it was it was literally like a concept that never really entered my my scope of thinking at the time that I read that book. And to to realize it's possible, then means it's possible for you. And so, if you haven't read that book, I highly recommend that book. To me, it's the the single handedly the best book because it's not only about uh, your investment portfolio, but like so much about psychology, about what holds you back about stories that, of people that have done it because it's really a collection of a, a lot of different millionaire investors and how they did it. And then that information is basically passed down through a very well-organized book. So that, that's a great one. Absolutely. I love that. And that book will be in the show notes. Uh, what is your favorite lifestyle design app? This can be a business app or tool. Um, I would say right now, the thing that's making the most difference is Upwork. Um, it's a, it's more of a website than an app, although there is an app to it as well, but we're, you know, we're outsourcing different parts of our bookkeeping. We're outsourcing, uh, like I have an Excel expert, so I can send him things like a lot of graphic design, a lot of data entry. You just like, boom, boom. If they happen to be overseas, then, you know, you send it to them at the end of the day and the next day it's done. Um, that's, that's a wonderful way. And like, Part of your question of like, how do you keep all this rolling in the music business and the real estate business? You have to figure out ways to leverage your time, right? And so not only having like personal assistant and other people that help work in the company to get things done, but it really helps to have resources that you can just like, especially specialized resources, like, hey, I need someone to do this special type of web programming and you can put it up there and you get, you know, 10 experts um, the next day and boom, pull the trigger and you're, you're off to the races. Love it. What do you enjoy most about the way your lifestyle is currently designed? Um, what I love is um, there's quite a bit of freedom right now in controlling my time. Uh, one thing, I walk to work. So the studio is right at my house. So that's a, that's a big lifestyle thing, especially in LA, where a lot of people spend an hour a day or, or more, maybe an hour each way. Um, and that's, again, a productivity thing. You don't, it doesn't sound like much, but two hours a day is... 10 hours a week is 40 hours a month, right? And it really adds up. So that's that's a great one. And it's also something, you know, I recently listened to your podcast um, with your guest who did Entrepreneur on Fire, right? And he's talking about like the Puerto Rico hack. And, you know, that's, that's the great thing about like, there's so much great information on the web. And I've listened to a few of your episodes and there's great stuff. But, you know, just like that, it's like, okay, how else could I 
keep improving the lifestyle hack, right? What are my other options that we have that are available? So it's something I've continued to try to grow and, and enhance. I've been really focused on building all these streams and building this business. And now that you have it going, it's like you don't want to just walk away now that you have it operating on full speed. But at the same time, you want to make sure like when you have freedom and choices that you take advantage of those choices. What were the sacrifices that you knew you had to make before the millions to get to where you are today? Uh, great question, because I think a lot of times, especially in like, like these YouTube video thing, and you see the guy with the Lambo and everything else, and you know, uh. it, it, all looks, <laughs> it all looks fun and uh, simple, right? But anybody who's succeeded realizes that you know, it doesn't happen by accident, right? You don't, right? You like this podcast, right? Like you had to, you somehow you had to book me as a guest, right? There's work involved with that. Somehow you had the concept, develop the platform, get it delivered, right? There's so many things. It's not like, oh, you know, Dre, your life is so easy, man. Like you just have a podcast. Oh, that's all happening, right? Like, so all that part. So, I mean, it really started young, like uh, living below my means. Um, when we first, you know, when we, my wife and I first got married, we rented a one-bedroom apartment. Um, basically, my studio took over the entire living room, and uh, you know, so we had, you know, but we could have got a much bigger place, and our friends would have been like, "Oh, you guys are doing great," you know. Um, but we we chose a smaller place. We saved eight hundred dollars a month every month, and in three years, we were able to buy our house. And um, then from that house, I was able to buy my first rental. Right, so lots of great things happen when you basically live below your means and then you make really wise choices with that capital. Unfortunately, a lot of people want to be driving in the Mercedes really early on and, you know, and, and basically looking successful rather than being successful. And it's a real big temptation. Um, I mean, you see it all the time. Somebody gets a brand new car. Oh, wow. You're killing it. You must be, it's like, well, actually you just added like $500 a month of obligation to your, right. It's actually, you're actually less rich than you when you didn't have that car. Right. right. But it appears, you know, um, in, in your, you know, average music video, right. It appears that you're crushing it and, you know, it's just the, unfortunately the reality. So it's something that you have to just say, I know I'm doing the right thing and doesn't really matter what other people think or, you know, your, how you want to be perceived. It's, it more matters what is actually happening in your life. I love it. Who was essential to your growth before the millions and why? Well, um, I'll say one of my big mentors was Jim Rohn. Um, and, and the good news is he can be each of your listeners mentors too. Yeah. He was actually a mentor to, um, Tony Robbins. Tony Robbins went to work for him when he was like 17. And sometimes if you're listening to Tony, you're like, Hey, I, I know where he got that. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, all those, all those recordings that I listened to that, that was revolutionary in kind of developing mindset about, um, Especially like, I think it's real easy to think for anybody to think like, oh, my upbringing or because of my circumstances or because I got married or because I got divorced or because, right, whatever, all these reasons that I can't get ahead or I can't start investing or my job doesn't pay enough, right? And he's so big on like, if your life is going to improve, you have to improve, right? And so just hearing that message over and over until it permeated, it's like, hey, don't wish it was easier. Wish you were better. Right. right. It's like, it's just great mind bending stuff that just really helped me on my journey. I love that. Last but not least, why do you think so many of us are stuck before the millions, even though we have every intention of getting to the millions? 
Um, kind of similar to that last answer, right? That I think it's real easy to think like the system is keeping us down or um, it's just like, I don't have the, the same opportunities that the next guy has or there's something wrong, right? And until, until you realize and until I realized that I was my biggest limitation, even going forward with what I want to do now, like the biggest limiter for me expanding my streams of cash flow and, you know, lifestyles and all that, I'm the limiting step in that, right? And until I grow and expand, I'm not going to grow and expand. Like I've gotten this far and it's, it's, it's super and I love it. But in order for me to keep growing, I have to keep learning. I have to keep figuring things out. I have to, you know, listen to your podcast. Are you, I have are to you, figure are out. you saying what got you here won't get you there? Yes. Yes, I would say so. <laughs> and, and also, like, once you're here, you got to figure out, like, you got to keep going, right? Uh, there's, there's many more things. Yeah, so maybe I'll become a Puerto Rico resident, right? Who knows, right? But there's, mm. you know. That's why it's important to keep surrounding yourself with great content and inspiring and listening to other people, keep learning. Because um, I think it's, you know, it, it's, it's, not, it's not easy, but at, at the same time, it's very doable, right? Mm -hmm. um, and, I, always, I always say it's not easy, but it's simple. Right. right. And if people go, how'd you get, you know, 62, 72 streams of income? And it's like, it started with one, right? And then... I figured out, okay, I bought a rental property. Now I have two, right? And then now I have three, right? And then it's just repeat multiplication, you know, and some of those decisions actually added to more income that allowed me to buy more, which allowed me to get more streams, right? But if I hadn't taken that first step, and I think a lot of people, once they take that first step, they'll realize it's not as hard as they think it is. And the limitations they think, you know, just try to make super wise decisions, get a lot of counsel, and, but at some point you pull the trigger and uh, then you try to launch it. But I think a lot of people are just stuck because they think it's either too hard, too difficult. Um, it's not in the cards for them, but the reality is it, it can be if they choose it to be. Absolutely. There's something called inertia. And yeah, when you first get started, it may be hard. It may be treacherous. You may not want to do it. You may hold it off for three months, but even when you get started, I mean, there's a book by uh, Robin Sherman called The 5 a.m. Club, and he has a famous quote. Uh, it's, it's hard in the, in the very beginning, right? And then uh, it's messy in the middle, but it's gorgeous at the end, right? So with, with, with the analogy you drew earlier, like when you first start out on any venture, on any journey, you're, you're going to, it's going to suck. It's going to be an uphill climb. It's going to be an uphill battle. But just like any snowball built on um, Charlie Brown, not in real life, but once you once you get it to the top and it starts rolling down, it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger, and it, it automatically it just starts moving on its own, right? Um, so I love that. I love that, Brian. If the people want to learn a little bit more about you, want to uh, say hi to you, uh, connect with you, where can they find some of your information? Um, on Instagram, Capital Stack Investments. Also, our website um, is www.capitalstackinvestments.com. And just go there, fill out the form, and then um, if you're interested, I'll send you a PDF about how I developed all these different streams of income and ideas on how you can too. I love that. I love that. And the link to everything we talked about today will be in the show notes, ladies and gents. Brian, 
Thank you so much for coming on the show. This has been an amazing podcast episode. I've learned so much from your journey to how to better think about investing to uh, how to get the ball rolling in some different types of ways to go from active to passive. And even the think, thinking about syndications has been an absolutely phenomenal episode. And I cannot wait to talk to you soon. Sounds great, Dre. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a real pleasure.